All right, welcome to another episode of the Rain Food Podcast. This is another one in our ongoing series of which we're calling the Final Frontier. The working title is the Epic Space series. Just yeah. to confuse me and you, apparently, uh, this is part five today. Mm-hmm. I think last week we promised a lot of bonus facts, right? Yeah, I, I decided to do that next week. Uh, but so that, that the next week will be the final of the space series. This one mm-hmm. will be the second final. And this is, I mean, this is kind of like a bonus fact, but more of like a... It's bonus fact I I know you, uh, I was kind of reading through it. It feels a bit... Yeah, there is, we're hitting a lot of different things. Yeah, yeah. So, so we're hitting a lot of different things, but mostly just debunking some myths. Uh, there was kind of a, a theme on some of these to, to just debunk a lot of myths. So I decided to put it all, all together. Um, to do with certain things with space that people think. So space myths, what have we got coming up? Uh, yeah, so we got uh, concerning, primarily concerning Tang, Velcro, pens, the moon, and the odds of successfully navigating through an asteroid field. Oh, that's, uh, judging by movies, incredibly difficult. But yeah. I think that's probably just for dramatic effect or something, right? Yeah, we'll get into that. Space is big, right? Yeah, and and why, and why they're wrong. Uh, I will spoil no more. I'll just leave that for later in this episode. Yeah, this is, uh, I, I, I like these ones where we tackle a few topics. As uh, mentioned in last week's episode, we are changing up the format slightly. So now we have the kind of the content at the beginning, and then we will do follow up on previous episodes and all sorts of, you know, extra podcasty things once we're done with that. So we're just going to crack on. But before we do, just let me say that uh, head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. You can or, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. When we hit 200 reviews on iTunes, we're, we're having a giveaway. We're giving a $200 Amazon gift card because 200 reviews to who uh, whoever we select at random. It doesn't have to be a good review. It can be a terrible review. You've got equal chance of winning, but that mm-hmm. would make for an awkward email for me to send. On, so leave us a good review. <laughs> on any on any platform, we'll be pulling the people from from whatever. I hesitate to say any platform because there are That's a true. lot of podcast apps out there, but let's just say the big boys like uh, yeah. Stitcher. I'm really drawing a mental blank. Podcast mm-hmm. Addict. Mm-hmm. Google Podcasts or Play Podcasts mm-hmm. or whatever. Although I think uh, the Google Podcast, I think someone emailed and said that you couldn't leave a review, maybe. So. That sounds like a, that sounds like a problem for their app. <laughs> Those are quite important. Yeah, I haven't I haven't actually looked to verify that yet, though. Because so. you're like, ooh, a podcast about politics. And then you read yeah. the reviews, it's like, one star. This is crazy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, one, one more thing. Don't forget if people want to comment on the episodes or whatever, they can go to the forum, forums.todayifoundout.com, or they can email us if they just want to talk to us at podcast.todayifoundout.com. Yes, they can do those things. Yeah, so so Tang. Tang. Tell me about Tang. So everyone, you know, you often see it was or hear it was invented for the space program. You know there. what? I don't. I have no idea what Tang is. This is Are not really? across the ponds. Dude, we have we, you're gonna have to do some like American explanations for me because I know we've got Cool Think. Whip, Jello, uh-huh. Tapioca, uh-huh. um, and a bunch of other stuff that I I I I have no idea what any of this stuff is. I get the feeling tapioca might just be me being stupid because that sounds like a dessert or something that's not a brand, but all right. So you know. so we'll we'll start with Tang. It's sort of like a, a a fake orange juice. Like, uh, mm. it doesn't really taste like orange juice, but orange juice doesn't really taste like orange juice, uh, you know, with the, cause they actually put that flavor. Um, Did we do that in a previous podcast? Uh, we met, we mentioned it briefly, but okay. yeah, they put that flavor in to make the hundred percent orange juice taste like something because when they pasteurize it, it kind of gets rid of the flavor. Um, mm. so that is why, but anyways, Tang, Tang, it's like a fake orange juice and that, I don't know. Yeah. I'm, it's not great. It's not bad. It's okay. And, uh, it was not 
uh, contrary to popular belief, it was not invented for the space program. It was already around, commercially available, uh, invented by a chemist named William A. Mitchell. And this guy was amazing. So as you just said, as you just alluded to, he invented Cool Whip, which, I mean, for Americans, know exactly what that is. Very popular. Um, And you don't know what that one is either. I have no idea what that is. (laughs) I imagine it's like... Let me take a complete guess of what these products are, because I have no idea. I'm going to guess, just based on the name, that this is, you know, that uh, oil-based cream that comes out of a thing and makes this sound. Yeah. Like the people Is it really? Yeah, but also you can get it in like the in a less fluffy, maybe uh, to describe it, um, form a little bit more okay. solid in like a in like a you know bucket type container. But yeah, you put it on like pies and things like that, sort of an ice cream substitute in that way. Um, so yeah, he he invented that mm-hmm. as well. He also invented quick setting Jello, which is I mean I'm sure you're familiar. With I Jell-O, know what Jello is. Okay, we call yeah. it jelly, which I believe is yeah, what okay. we call jam. Like oh, yeah. jelly is what you put on toast, right? Yeah. Yeah, we call that jam and we call jello jelly. Yeah. We might we would also call it jam sometimes. It depends on the, the type of ah. it. But yeah, so the quick setting well, type of jello. Is another one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah well, I, I know okay. what that is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the quick... like, I just always thought marmalade is the most British sounding thing ever. It does. Marmalade. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, carry on. What else did this? Yeah, so have? the quick setting jello, which is just makes it, mm. you know, set up faster. Powdered egg whites, which I don't know. That's a, which that's that thing. sounds like a crime against humanity. Like the egg white is the most boring tasting. The yolk's the good part. The egg, the egg white's well, the kind of bit that you have to eat to get to the yolk. But you got the and powdered. You got the, you got the protein though. The the protein of the egg white. The egg white is mostly going to be the protein, and so the Dude, powdered I'm egg not white. Making, I'm not making a nutritional arguments here. I'm making okay. a taste arguments. Like I like <laughs> protein is not a tasty substance. This would have been a great segue <laughs> into next week's sponsor. But oh well, we're not we're not ready for that one yet. Oh yeah, we're not ready for that one yet. <laughs> Are we not doing that today? Uh, no, because I didn't sponsor. get a chance to look at the notes. Although I do have the the product. Um, but yeah, so next week. But yeah, it's a good thing we have the sponsor. Do you think anyone's ever stayed said on a podcast? Stay tuned for next week's podcast because we've got a sponsor. <laughs> get excited! Everyone should be happy about this because what are we up to? Now? Like. $700 a month this podcast is costing us something it's like that not. yeah well the, the last hosting oh. bill was quite expensive <laughs> oh good so. I don't think I opened that email <laughs> <laughs> well it's growing like crazy that's what's important but no it is it is, it's, it's it is. but until we get sponsors it's like oh man people just listen and like, unlike YouTube where you don't sorry I know we're already done like six tangents and we're about four lines <laughs> into today's plan but um Unlike on YouTube, where you don't pay for the video feeding to people with podcasting, it's all on you. You got to pay for that data, and it's mm-hmm. it's pricey. There's no. Yeah. I think we talked about this before, but do you remember when we were on that like ten dollar a month Blueberry plan, and then they were like, <laughs> "Guys, you're getting like four hundred thousand downloads a month. Uh, you can't be on the ten dollar plan anymore. It's now <laughs> seven hundred dollars a month or whatever. Uh, <laughs> that yeah, was a yeah. jump. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. All right. Uh, all yeah. right. So, powdered, powdered egg, egg white. white. against humanity. Moving on. Uh, a popular tapioca substitute, which is why uh, tapioca is called Mitchell's Mud sometimes, people call it. And this no idea during, what like, tapioca is, Mitchell's Mud. What's this? Uh, tapioca. <laughs> it's like, um, it's like a, you know, you have like tapioca pudding. Have you heard of this? I've heard of it through American TV shows. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, it's uh, tapioca is a starch extract from the cassava root. And uh, the problem was in World this War doesn't II. Doesn't sound good. No, uh, I've, I don't know if I've actually had tapioca, but people like it, tapioca pudding and stuff. Um, my when wife we do a brain food live, 
Well, it has to be yeah. Yeah. Um, so during World War II, though, there was a, a shortage. So he made a, a substitute for it, which became popular. And most importantly of all, he also invented Pop Rocks. Do you know what Pop Rocks are? Uh, I do know what they are. I okay. um, Have you ever I, had them? I might have even had these. Uh, I think yeah. If we have something very similar, if it's not Pop Rocks, it's... I know exactly. These are the things you put in your mouth. They're little crystally things. They mm-hmm. uh, jump around. They're very... Yeah. We might call them something different in Britain, but I, I'm familiar. Yeah. Yeah. So he invented these, uh, which are, I mean, I, speaking of asides, I did want to like just briefly talk about how these work because it's pretty amazing. Uh, you say ingenious in the script. I'm waiting to be blown away by like... It's totally ingenious. Ingenious pop rock. He thought of this because it's actually not really any different than any sugar, any like sugar hard candy. There's just one little thing they do to it to make it different. And it's so, so it's just sugar, corn syrup, water, and artificial flavoring. That's like almost any yeah. any hard candy made of sugar. Uh, so this is this is how they do it. So they just they start out, they put the ingredients in a you know container, and then they boil, bring it to boil, bring the whole thing to boil, and they just keep getting the moisture out until it's a very thick syrup. And then you know normally they then put it in uh, some molds and, and harden it like suckers for suckers and things like this. But in this case, they actually just put it and they expose this sort of like syrupy mix to really high pressure carbon dioxide. So they just increase okay. the atmospheric pressure to, uh, it turns out, about 600 pounds per square inch, according to the, the patent that he filed for it. And so then the, it has like all these small carbon dioxide bubbles that form within the mixture. And then they cool it at this high pressure. And then once it's hardened, uh, then they release the pressure very suddenly. And this causes the whole thing to just shatter into tiny pieces. But there are still little tiny, little tiny um, high pressure carbon dioxide bubbles within the mixture. And these are kind of contained. And then when you put them in your mouth, it, of course, dissolves the, the little barrier. And then it pops. It releases the pressure really quickly and jumps around. How the hell did you figure this out? Yeah, like, how how they, like what we're going to do is we're going to take this thing, we're going to put it in a high pressure chamber at 600 pounds, and then we're going to release the pressure suddenly. It's all going to crack into pieces and boom, candy. It's like, dude, how did you get here? How did you even yeah, think of that in the first place? That's amazing because yeah. like you wouldn't just sit around like, I don't know, we'll just make candy the way we always do it. But yeah, high pressure, that'll be cool. It'll jump. It'll be kind mm. of a novelty. But yeah, so this he came up with that. And uh, yeah, and then going back to the space thing, he came up with Tang, which in General Foods, he made it, uh, he, it was first introduced in 1959, I think it was a few years before when he actually uh, invented it. And, and yeah, so NASA was having, and um, they first used it in 1962 in John Glenn's Mercury flight, and then uh, again in the, uh, the Gemini program. Uh, 1965 because he didn't he, he he needed he was like a big tang fan or well you know, no this is the thing is is the water aboard these things tasted really gross and uh, we actually have a quote from uh, an engineer who worked on the uh, gemini program and he he actually explains why it tasted gross he says there was a particular component of the Gemini Life Support System module which produced H2O, among other things. This was a byproduct of a recurring chemical reaction of one of the mechanical devices on the life support module. The astronauts would use this water to drink during their spaceflight. The problem was that the astronauts did not like the taste of the water because of some of the byproducts produced, which were not harmful, of course. So they added tang to the water to make it taste better. Okay. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. So even though Tang was actually commercially available a few years before NASA ever used it, it wasn't like super popular at this point. And so most people were first introduced to it through the space program, which led to the myth that uh, NASA invented it for their for their space program. When in fact, it was just something you said you it was owned by shelves. General Foods. right? Yeah. General General Foods. Uh, they introduced it in 1959. So it was a few years before. They would be a pretty huge company, I'm guessing. Yeah. Like general Foods. Like that one of the massive. biggest in the world, I think, actually. 
Like if I was ever going to start like a company and you want it to appear massive, I feel like you can just add industries to the end of anything or general to the beginning. So it could be like, you know, YouTube industries. Whoa, what is this? It's big. (laughs) Um, This, I was just thinking that has got to be an absolute coup for them. Like, can you imagine getting a call from NASA? It's like, hey Mm -hmm. guys, uh, we're going to use your Tang thing on the space, uh, not shuttle, this was well before shuttles, on the space thing. You'd be like, all right, how much do you need for free? Please come and collect it. How much do we owe you? Because mm-hmm. that's going to be uh, that's going to be good advertising, good PR. Yeah. And this is this is exactly what happened. And also what happened to the next thing, which is Velcro, which uh, also Ooh. was not invented for the space program. And actually, this one, Velcro was actually uh, reasonably popular before NASA used it. But then NASA did help spur it into more uh, widespread popularity. Uh, so the inventor of this one was actually a Swiss guy, uh, engineer by the name of uh, Jorge de Mestral. And uh, so, yeah, he was on a hunting trip. His, his initial inspiration for the idea, he was on a hunting trip in the Swiss Alps with his dog, and he got all these burrs from the burdock plant. Have you ever had that, you know, where they stick to your pants and everything? And Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah so this is exactly what happened. They were sticking to his pants and the dog, and he was just marveling at this, like, why, how is it sticking to the dog's fur and my pants and, like, these different materials that stick so well and really firmly? What's, how is this working? So he went ahead and, being an engineer, he put it under a microscope to see how this worked and he saw there's little like these little hooks um all over on the if you kind of look at it and we have a um, a picture i'll probably put it up in the show notes you can you can see it on our notes right now and so yeah it has all these little hooks and so he thought well why don't i just make that same thing like make a product that does that same thing and i could his idea was sort of a zipperless zipper was what he was going for and mm-hmm. it turned out it took him quite a long time to make this because it's not actually trivial to make uh, this type of thing. Like this, this sort of hook and loop fastener had been around already for a long time. Um, people had used these, but never at this sort of like tiny, uh, not microscopic, but very small level that you would need to get this sort of really strong adhesion and stuff. So he just decided, how can I, how can I miniaturize this product? And I'll, I sort of model it after the, the burrs of the burdock seed plant, you know, right there. Yeah, it look. We're looking at a thing on the in the notes. It does look exactly like a, a little thing of Velcro with like the tiny yeah. little hook at the end. Yeah, and so he started. He started by going with um, some cotton, and he he kind of made the hooks a little hook part and um, a loop part. And this worked pretty good, but it would it didn't last. Um, it didn't last after several removals. It would just stop working well. And so then he stumbled on after a lot of trial and error of different materials and stuff. Uh, he heat treated nylon worked really good. And the other advantage of this, because of the stiffness of it, uh, he was actually able to just make you just make the loop side. And then after mm-hmm. you get the loop side, you can take half of it and just cut off the tops of the loop. And then you have the hooks and they're just sort of randomly mm-hmm. placed for best adhesion when they come together. And it turns out this was very durable. But then after he comes up with this, it took him another 10 years to invent a machine to mass produce it. Oh, brutal. Yeah. And so he eventually, he eventually did. And Velcro was super popular as the, you know, um, he first got his patent in 1955 uh, for the zipper, zipperless zipper, um, which he called Velcro. And then, uh, yeah, the, uh, it, it, was, it was gaining in popularity pretty good. And then when NASA, of course, used it in their space program, because they needed, you know, you have just stuff floating around, but you need to you know, hook it, you know, attach it to the wall and stuff. And so the, the mm-hmm. Velcro was perfect for this. And so they used Velcro all over the place. And of course, as we mentioned earlier in another episode, they used it for scratching their noses and stuff on their face. Oh yeah, the nose yeah. thing in the helmet. Yeah, so all this uh, it became very popular again. And then people once again assumed that NASA had invented Velcro for the space program, but it was not the case. It was a Swiss guy, actually. Are you, uh, do, 
I, it's been a few episodes since we've done one, but mm-hmm. I know we occasionally work Star Trek facts into into this uh, yeah. yeah into this podcast. Are you ready for one? Do we have one for today? Because I've got one. Uh, I don't have one for today, but I do have one for the next weeks. Yes. Okay. Well, well. How about this? I'll, I'll satisfy today's Star Trek fact. Um, <laughs> this was ringing bells with me, like the invention of Velcro. And mm-hmm. so I remember there was an episode of Star Trek where someone did something related to the invention of Velcro. I did some Googling. There's an episode of season two of Star Trek Enterprise, one of my least favorite Star Treks, <laughs> but I've seen it. And uh, a Vulcan called Tamir, who is mm-hmm. traveling. Uh, I, I really read the plot. Oh, briefly, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I, do, I, know, I know which episode yep. you're talking about. Yeah. Really. Travels back in time, needs yeah. to make money, so sells the rights to Velcro. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, that was... That was uh, to Paul's parents or grand grandparents, maybe, or like her grandmother, maybe something. Yeah. Oh, it's not a tri- time travel thing. It's just the uh, yeah the first contact thing, right? Near yeah, it was a, it was a first thing. contact, and before the first contact, and then they were like sitting around the little captain's mess uh, discussing, mm-hmm. and she was telling the story of the uh, of her grandmother or some some relation or something that got stranded on Earth. It was actually a pretty good episode. So. That was yeah. that was that was fiction, obviously. Yeah. Like uh, and another one, transparent aluminium, which was mm-hmm. uh, what Montgomery Scott sold in Star Trek for the Voyage Home. Mm-hmm. There you yeah. go. It's people taking and wait. Does transparent aluminium ex- actually exist? Is that a thing? Yes. Or is that just yes? Ooh. It does. But I don't remember the specifics of like if it's really. Wait, I'm doubting because there was a link on Wikipedia and I clicked on it, and it's taken me to the Wikipedia page list of Star Trek materials. Transparent aluminium. Aluminum oxen nitride, or alon, is a ceramic composed of aluminum, oxygen, and nitrogen. It's got a hardness of 7.7 mores. I think yeah. we uh, might be reading the same thing right now. Yeah, and it's, uh, it, and it, it's, uh, yeah, it looks, it's clear, and it, that's great because it's really strong. They should totally make phone screens out of that at some point when it's presumably cheaper. I assume that's why they don't do it now. I sure hope they will. Um, yeah. yeah, I damaged too many of those. Uh, what, what, Velcro used Velcro. by NASA. Yeah, popular. Help popularize it, I should say. It was already well on its way. Velcro, unlike unlike Tang, I think Velcro would have made it on its own. You know, like Tang wasn't super popular. Dude, Velcro's a mate. There's no way. There's no way. Like Velcro's got a bit of a negative rap, but dude, like Velcro shoes. If those were cool, I'd be all over that. <laughs> totally. It's it's a no it's one likes fine laces. It's far superior to laces. It doesn't come loose, unlike laces. Yeah. You know. Uh, so yeah, and you can take it off super fast. Yeah, yeah. It's like I take my shoes off, and like, I, and I, the, I, the U.S. military has invented a uh, a nearly silent Velcro. Silent Velcro. Oh, yes, cool. Yes, I don't think it's publicly available, but it was developed using uh, tax dollars. So presumably, at some point, it would be. Uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. they they uh, they have a silent Velcro that they use. Of course, that's handy uh, when they're trying to be sneaky. Yeah, it's like we're going in. Launch, launch. John, for God's sake, stop it with the damn shoes. <laughs> Um, yeah, silent Valkyrie. Right? All right. So the other thing you've, you've, I know you've heard this one, uh, because we've done a video on it, but the, um, so NASA, the rumor has it and often, often touted fact is that they spent hundreds of millions of dollars to invent a pen that would work in space while the uh, Soviet the Union just used pen. pencils. Yeah. Uh, and so this is sort of the joke, uh, uh, you know, all funny, but in fact, in truth, both the Americans and the Soviets use pencils, 
uh, for a while, and both of them were displeased with the use of pencils in space, because as you imagine, the pencil, it kind of breaks off at the end. You get the little pencil shavings going everywhere when you're trying to sharpen it, and this is like a problem. I like the fact that it says, eye-seeking fragments of pencil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So that, that, but they can also get in the instruments and under buttons, and there was some risk of you know, they were a little bit worried about the, you know, the pencil, the shavings getting in, causing a fire, like a little short and mm-hmm. the graphite and all that. So it just wasn't, it, I mean, mainly it was just little particles floating around. It was not, not ideal for space. So, um, so NASA, NASA, neither NASA or, or Russia actually put money into a space pen, contrary to popular belief, but they did, NASA did put a lot of money, um, about, they spent about $4,382.50, which is about $32,000 today. <laughs> Super specific. <laughs> yeah. On 34 pencils that were made, specially made to, to basically not... Good laws. Yeah, not put um, particles all over the place when you sharpen them and when they lead breaks and stuff. Um, so they did this... money, that's like a grand per pencil. Yeah, this was not... And this, at the time, of course, as we mentioned, I think last episode, the general public was not too keen on the space program. The polls showed that they were quite against the the uh, perceived waste of taxpayer money. And this was a, this was something in 1965 when NASA did this that was like made headlines of like, yeah, they're spending how much on a pencil? And so it was just kind yeah. of one of those government spending things. And uh, and yeah, so they were not happy. And so, you know, the NASA would, would like another option. And this is where the space pen came up, but they did not uh, put any money into investing in it or anything. It was actually made by a guy called Paul C. Fisher, um, and his his Fisher Pen Company. Um, he actually spent a, a little over a million dollars developing this pen. Uh, and so it's uh, for people who aren't familiar. It's a pressurized. It's got pressurized nitrogen in inside, and uh, mm-hmm. then it's kind of a special kind of ink that doesn't just squirt out. So it's a little bit thicker. Um, and the the net result is it's a ballpoint pen that you can write uh, upside down, underwater, whatever. Um, and actually, pretty extreme temperatures too. They said they say it's like negative fifty to four hundred degrees Fahrenheit. This pen will work, or that's negative forty five Celsius to two hundred and four Celsius. Yeah. You can't hold a pen that is that hot. No, no. Uh, so this this is great for space, um, for for writing in space. And so he actually, of course, probably thinking of the free advertisement that was happening if he if NASA would use it. He actually approached NASA, not the other way around, and uh, showed them at his at that time he called it his AG seven pen, and mm-hmm. uh, showed them what it it's could less do. Less than space pen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so they uh, NASA loved it because it was perfect. It was exactly what they needed. And so they bought four hundred of them. But not only this, that NASA also, they didn't just buy them from him like you think, like these pen, these pencils, they spent so much money. Surely they must have spent a lot of money on these. But no, NASA, mm-hmm. not only did NASA not want to pay the retail price, they were like, well, if we're going to buy 400, you got to give us a discount. Um, so they, he bought, they bought Free publicity. I, yeah, yeah. I mean, I yeah. take the publicity. I mean, that pen is yeah. still a thing today. Yeah, it's, he probably would have given them to pen. him for free if, if they would have asked, I'm sure. Uh, so yeah, they yeah. only spent $2.39 a piece, which is about $17.42. Uh, each today. Um, that was about 40% off the the consumer price at the time for the space pen. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and so very quickly, uh, NASA and the Soviet Union were using these pens. And uh, yeah, it was great for advertising. And so yeah, he, they became very popular. Sorry, did you mention, did he develop this with a mind of selling it for this purpose? Or did he just want to create like a really durable upside down pen? I think it was just he was trying to develop a pen that you could write upside down and stuff like that. And it just so happened he saw the he saw the market value of what NASA with NASA could use and, you know, Soviet Union as well, just in space. It works great. It's great marketing. Um, yeah. And so to be fair, if I was him and I saw a business where or like a business that was making a thousand dollars in today's money from selling pencil, a pencil yeah. to NASA, I'd be like, they got money. Yeah, <laughs> they're doing something's up. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, 
you might actually think like this this uh, this two dollars and thirty nine cents discount. This was forty percent off. Like that kind of seems expensive because seventeen dollars and forty two cents. Like that's an expensive pen. But this was actually quite cheap because uh, I I don't know if a lot of people don't know ballpoint pens have not actually been around for that long. Um, and it was just a little bit uh, about two decades before this. So this is a ballpoint pen of sorts. It's just a pressurized inside. Um, just two decades before this, the, the cheapest ballpoint pens you could buy were five to 10 times that cost. So they cost over a over hundred bucks each when adjusting for inflation. For like a biro? Yeah, exactly. These, these, these Yeah, there's, yeah, well, I, I know exactly what, I, what you're talking about. Um, yeah, or big yeah. people say big, big or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, uh, these these are the things you buy in Tesco or you know uh, yeah for Walmart like for nothing for nothing and it turns well out, you'll buy like a hundred of them for like two dollars yeah exactly and it turns out these are actually really marvels of engineering um and and it's mainly because of the the actual ball the ball bearing at the end uh it, these are incredibly oh, difficult have to be super smooth and everything right it has to be and perfectly fitting it has to be absolutely perfect or it'll just leak <laughs> or, or or it won't come out smoothly you know if there's like even a slight irregularity it won't come out the ink won't come out smoothly and evenly and stuff in writing so it turns out that you 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 need it's about see what is it uh accurate within a thousandth of a centimeter or so to to of smoothness and of the roundness and everything and it's so smooth in fact that you need an electron microscope to see imperfections in these ball bearings, which is just crazy. Wow. Yeah. That's and, crazy. I, I mean, it makes sense, but I didn't know how to be so, so perfect. Yeah. And this is this is why they were so expensive at the time. And then, of course, they figured out uh, Bic and Biro, which is why you call them Biro, figured out how to mass produce them with great quality. And then they, uh, they became much cheaper. There you go. Yeah. If I were Bic or Biro, I'd be like, nah, it's still really hard, guys. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, didn't, totally. we didn't figure it out. These things are still like a hundred dollars each. We yeah. just they just as four cents. Yeah, totally. They they literally really use um like diamond polishing for these for these little things to get them so smooth and everything. It's pretty crazy. Well, if you're looking at them with an electron microscope, I yeah. if, or you'd need to look at them with an electron microscope yeah. for imperfections. I, I I believe it. Like yeah, that's and they do in the manual detail in the manufacturing. They do have ones that aren't any good, and they throw out. Uh, whole batches when they get when they get them that they don't uh, perform correctly and so yeah but the ones that come out is still super cheap um because they can mass produce them so but it is quite a marvel of engineering actually i wish i had one to look at right now i uh, mm-hmm. i recently gave up on paper i went ipad pro with Apple oh, really? yeah, <laughs> yeah just because apparently this podcast is not enough like hello internet you gotta yeah. talk about some uh <laughs> some <laughs> apple devices it's been awesome really yeah but I've I've largely cut out paper usage, which I still, I still like the uh, notebooks and the paper. I'm I love it. Fan. I love I love the paper and pen. But yeah. it was getting crazy. I have so many notes. Yeah. All right. So, anyways, uh, speaking of uh, round things that are amazing, uh, the another common oh, myth. Just by the way, I was trying kind of thinking that's really expensive for a pen, like a hundred dollars. That 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 Apple pencil doesn't come with the iPad. <laughs> you gotta buy that separately. That's a hundred pounds. Oh wow! It's like that's like 130 bucks or something. Anyway, although that is a little bit better of a mar- marvel of engineering because you do have like a tiny little chip in there and it's running off almost no power, uh, transmitting. You know, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I know. <laughs> still, 130 dollars for a bloody pen. Well, that is. They probably are not paying hardly anything for it. So, anyways. Anyway, speaking of round things that are pretty amazing, the uh, there is a common myth that there is a dark side of the moon. There is not. A dark side of the moon. Um, the moon has days and nights just like Earth, which I think um, I think if anyone would really stop and think about it, could be like, oh yeah, 
but it is something that people say a lot. Yeah, I mean, hang on. The even like the most basic level, you just think about that for a second. It's like, yeah. well, yeah, at some point, that other side of the moon is going to face the sun because it's yeah. spinning around the Earth, and yeah, the and, and spinning you, around the sun, and it's not That's always going to happen. It's not always a full moon, you know, from our view. But anyways, uh, but yeah, but it's one of those things that I think people don't uh, think about a lot, and so there's just like the perception that there is a dark side of the moon, but there's not. They have uh, the one moon day is uh, 29 and a half Earth days, approximately. And it coincides with its, Earth, uh, with its orbit around the Earth, which is, um, as you might expect. And this is not a coincidence. Uh, but actually, one interesting thing, we actually see 59% of the, of the moon, even though it does coincide uh, almost perfectly, um, which we'll explain, we'll explain in a little bit. But... Oh. We have, but. Nice, nice tease. That's what, that's how we get people to continue listening. <laughs> if we were really, if we were really like, what, what's the audio equivalent of clickbait? It'd be like the unbelievable way that you see an extra 9% of the moon. Yeah. yeah so. And then a picture in the thumbnail of a big red arrow pointing to the corner of a moon, which you normally connect with. Oh, yeah. Clickbait. Of course, now we're gonna Sorry, carry on. Anti-clickbait is now we're gonna uh, now we're gonna massively I'm gonna, deliver because like... no, I'm gonna massively like turn people off. And be, this 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 next part is gonna. It's not actually technical. Like it's pretty easy to understand if you could see it. If you can like see a, a, a like a graphic of it, it's like oh yeah, I got it. Uh, but is this actually, about why we cut why the the whole thing about why the moon faces us in one way? Yeah, and it, it's, yeah, dude, this is the you say it's easy to understand. So I get it, when the, you the see it of what we're talking about. When you see okay, it, it's yeah, easy to enough. understand. When you when you hear <laughs> someone explain it into like two pages of text, and I'm finishing that, and I'm like, uh, well, I'm assuming they'll be able to explain it better when we record. <laughs> we can we can so let's hope. see how we do. I, I I strongly considered just cutting this whole part out because I was like, is it too? Because it is like when you say it, it it sounds complicated, but it's really like literally, if you just Google a graphic of it, you're like, oh, I got it. This is simple. Let's see if we can earn ourselves some three-star iTunes reviews. <laughs> yeah. So I'll just I'll just try to go really quick and like high level. How about that? We don't go too quick, make it. A- <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. So going back, so we have the the going back in time. So you have the moon. It's it actually did rotate where you could see you could see the supposed dark side from Earth, and so the the rotation was very different in its in its orbit. How far away it was was very different than it is now. And over time, the Earth's gravitational field basically it just gradually slowed the moon's rotation. So this is like a really high level, and um, until the orbital period was uh, and the rotational speed stabilized, and then you have just basically the Earth, um, the moon facing the Earth, and it's further out than it was. And we'll get into now why that is. So, how does this work? It's essentially, in a nutshell, uh, you have this tidal friction. So, think about this. Think about like a merry-go-round, right? So, you're on the mm-hmm. you're on the outer side of it, right? And so, I'm on a unicorn. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you're being kind of thrown out, right? Like thrown out from the thing, especially as it goes faster and faster, right? Sounds like a pretty exciting merry-go-round, but yeah. yeah, I'm following. Yeah, so if it goes faster, and so this is this is part of the cause. So this is there's two bulges that are happening to both Earth and the Moon at the same time. Um, so and it, it it has to do with gravity, of course, and inertia. So both uh-huh. the Earth and the Moon. So the Moon's going around the Earth, obviously, and it's but the Moon wants to go in a straight line, but the Earth is pulling it back, right? Ah, uh, yes. Okay. And so on the one side, you're going to have a bulge towards the Earth, right? Uh, that's kind of the 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 uh, surface of the moon is kind of bulging a little bit towards the Earth, and on the other side, you're going to have this inertia, like the merry-go-round, where it's throwing it out, kind of. And so, because the gravity on the one side of the moon closer to the Earth is going to be uh, a stronger effect 
on that side of the moon than the other side, you end up getting two mm-hmm. bulges. You have the one the one side where it's bulging towards the Earth and the other side mm-hmm. where the inertia is kind of throwing it out. Okay, so you have two bulges, right? This mm-hmm. same thing is happening on Earth as well with Earth. Actually, this I mean, most the, the thing people mostly know is, is tides, you know, ocean tides, right? Sure. Yeah, so Some this idea. this is exactly what's happening. But also the crust of the Earth is also bulging like very slightly because the moon the moon's not super massive. Um, the, the Earth, it turns out, is 81.28 times more massive than the moon. So the moon obviously has the greater effect here, which is why uh, the, the moon I is... I like that massive is a technical term. Yeah, like, yeah. You, you yeah. don't mean like it's 81.28 times more massive. It's, uh, no, that's just the word. That's just literally the, mass. Just literally mass. mass. Yeah, yeah, that's cool though. Carry on. Yeah, so... What's happening, though, is so now if you picture it in your mind of the moon rotating, right? So it's rotating. It's not tidally locked with the Earth yet. And so it's mm-hmm. rotating here. And so this bulge, these two bulges are also rotating. So they're, it's kind of moving around. So part of it is, is sort right. of bulging. And then they're it, rotating. So they're, I should say, as it rotates, the bulges are staying the same. So the, the bulge facing the Earth is staying the same. The, the bulge on the other side is staying the same. But the moon is rotating. So it's like, uh, so you almost think of it like a wave. You know, mm-hmm. a, a little bit think of like ocean tides, um, same type of thing, but it's just the crust of the moon uh, is doing this. But oh, wait, really? Yeah, like, yeah. And the Earth is made of rock and stuff. Yeah, but it's the same. The crust of the Earth is same, bulging. The moon's having this the same effect on the Earth. Oh. Um, so when this is happening, what's going to happen though? If you think about, it, there is friction forces too as it's rotating. So the bulge is not going to not going to right away, you know, transfer like you say. It's rock. You know, it's got right, that's what I was, yeah. And okay. so you're going to have but this. That, that happens on like a daily basis? Or it used to. Um, now it's tidally locked. So now it's not. Ah. I mean, it does. Ah, okay, it, okay. it does still happen ah, to the earth. I see where we're going. Okay. Yeah, it yeah. does still happen to the earth. So it used to. And so there's this slight leading of the bulge of the of the front most that's bulge. intense. Like a whole bulge. Like Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. Moving? And so because of this slight leading part being kind of off center of the pull of gravity. So it's, it's kind of like off a little bit, like it's leading a little bit. This is going to cause it to the whole thing. It creates like a little bit of torque, which then, which then gradually slows the moon's rotation as this torque um, is torque is being applied. So it takes, you know, millions of years. And then eventually it'll slow to the point where it's just going to face the earth. So those bulges stay the same. You have the bulge on the one side from the inertia pulling away and you have the bulge on the other side from the gravity being stronger on that side, you know, uh, towards earth. And so in the end, what you end up with is this tidally locked system. And, and I think like uh, Pluto and whatever its moon is called, I think both of them are tidally locked, uh, if I remember correctly. So they're both facing each other all the time as they go. And this okay. same thing, if, if the earth and the moon were to last long enough, would happen eventually where the moon, where the earth itself which would face only one side of the earth would face the moon and only one side of the moon would face the earth. And this, this would eventually happen. And so you could only see the moon from one side of the earth if that happened, because the same thing, the moon is having the same exact effect on the earth as well. So do you ever have that thing when you're learning something mm-hmm. and you're like, I'm fairly sure I understand, but if anyone asked me to explain it, I would not be able to, I'd be like, there's a bolt. There, there was a bolt. There's, <laughs> yeah. there was a bulge. And there's a, they, there's a merry-go-round as well, something yeah. about a unicorn. But yeah. I think I get it. Um, it is complex, though. I think I do need to have a look at that diagram. Yeah, trust me, if you see like a graphic of this uh, <laughs> happening, it's just like, oh, I got it. This is really simple, actually. Um, and this, uh, yeah. You're welcome, listeners. I hope you enjoyed the last 10 minutes <laughs> yeah. of your life. Go look at the graph. I did, to be fair, I did abandon my notes there for that whole explanation just because I was like, <laughs> the notes are too 
too like uh, um, what do you call it? regimented or whatever, and so I should just explain uh-huh. it, and then it'll it'll come yeah. out more understandable that way. Um, if viewers at home can't see this, I had my eyes closed for most of that <laughs> segment, just being like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, "Yeah, okay, unicorn." Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so uh, in any event, so uh, coming back to why why is it fifty nine percent? Then why can we see fifty nine percent of it's tidally locked? And it's just because the moon is not in a, a perfectly circular orbit; it's an elliptical orbit. So there is a little bit of um, uh, there is a little bit of off center that's happening here. Um, you see that in those diagrams of the solar system. Yeah. Uh, wait, hang on. I've just got a question. This is not in the notes. It just came to my mind. So I'm sorry if you don't know the answer. <laughs> I have no idea. You know, in those maps mm-hmm. and all the planets are like, you've got the sun and then the planets are all in like these concentric rings, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are they really all flat like that? Like, oh, yes, absolutely. They are. And there's a good reason for uh, gravity is basically oh, the so reason. I'm so glad you know the answer to this. <laughs> yeah. So think and now is imagine. Because that, ima- that just sounds like something they put in a textbook to make it easier to conceptualize. No, this is absolutely true. And it's because think about this. Think about like a giant dust cloud, which is essentially what the solar system was at one point. And so think yeah. about so all these all these things start coalescing. They have all this dust and gases and everything. And gravity's pulling them towards the center. Right. And so they're going to be pulling yeah down you know like towards each other right right and so naturally the whole thing is going to form into a disc like a galaxy or like oh, that makes like, perfect sense yeah exactly and so then eventually they all form and if you have enough if you have enough of of like the hydrogen and stuff then you'll get a sun and then you you know all this stuff and and then depending on uh where in the orbit and stuff things and you can you can think about why why okay so why do we have the gas masses in this place and then you have you know little rocky planets more out or this sort of thing and it's a, it's a similar thing it's just all like gravity and what's in the system at the time but but basically you you see it's just a cloud that all comes together into a disk uh, essentially Makes sense. and then once it, as it's in that disk it also stuff starts you know pulling together and forming you know planets and uh, gas giants and things of this nature and if the gas giant gets big enough you know you have a sun uh, depending on what it's made of and all that but um that's cool in a nutshell have you have you read that bill bryson book that deals with this sort of stuff no have we I discussed haven't. this before a short no. history of nearly everything no i haven't i've heard of that though gosh that's good yeah i i feel that i heard this a long time ago and entirely forgot about it because this yeah. was like the, the whole disc thing and the 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 gravity sounds super familiar and it yeah. feels like that's that's the sort of thing bryson would would tackle yeah. No, me, it's for me, it it was like, uh, what was it now? 15, no, 10, 10 or 15 years ago. Cosmology Mm -hmm. College. Great, great, Ah, great class. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But anyways. So that was why we see 59% of the moon. Yeah, exactly. It's just not quite at the perfect angle or it's not, uh, sorry, slightly elliptical. Yeah, exactly. So as the, as the moon sort of its distance from the earth gets, you know, increases and decreases, it's uh, angular speed changes, which, uh, well, it's mm-hmm. rotational speed stays the same. And so then you end up getting this like slight, you know, offset where we get to see a little bit more of the moon than we would if it had a perfectly circular orbit. Very nice. Oh, one thing we forgot, I forgot to mention. So when this is happening, so the, so the moon is having the same effect on the earth, right? Uh, and so I, mm-hmm. I sort of alluded to the, the bulging fact- thing. Yeah, I alluded to the fact before that the moon's orbit has changed because of this interaction and it's still changing. So the moon is is progressively getting further and further away from the Earth at actually about 3.8 centimeters per year, give or take. Uh, it turns out like mm-hmm. uh, global events like different um, like even like hurricanes and uh, different uh, climate things, earthquakes, all this actually can can affect this. Uh, this change. So it's not constant every year. It's not the same amount going away, which is also why um, uh, I, sh- oh, I should say when this is happening, the Earth is actually slowing down its orbit as well. So the days are getting slightly longer. 
um, yeah. very slightly. So you do have these leap seconds we get added because of this uh, every now and then. Yeah, I heard about these. Yeah, and this is exactly why, because the, the Earth is rotating slower and slower over time because of this interaction with the moon. And as this same thing is happening, so the conservation of momentum, the, the moon actually gets further and further out as, as it goes, as it sort of, you could think of it like steals this energy from the Earth. Um, so yeah, it gets further away. I love away. that we've created clocks that are so incredibly accurate that we have to adjust them based on stuff like this, like <laughs> cosmological events. It's like, yeah, they're, they're so precise. We have to add in leap seconds because of the, the moon and the earth changing that. It's just nuts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we can't, and we cool. can't actually, because, because different, uh, you know, uh, global events can actually affect this, we can't just like schedule it necessarily, like mm -hmm. per se. So it, it kind of gets, those get added irregularly um, as needed as the, as the moon sort of goes away and slows the earth slowly over time. And um, in the end, eventually, the earth and the moon would be technically tidally locked at some point where you would just have to, if you have to go to one side of the earth to see the moon, you'd never see it otherwise. Uh, but this actually won't ever happen probably um, unless we figure out how to move the earth and the moon. Um, because... <laughs> okay, there's a fairly big ask. Yeah, because what will happen eventually is the sun. So eventually the sun's going to go into its uh, red giant phase. So it'll kind of yeah. burn itself out. And then it gets to that, that phase where it's just expanding just massively. Um, Oh, I should mention actually before this happens, before the red giant phase, the, because it will be expanding uh, it, in about one to two billion years, uh, all water on the Earth is going to be vaporized um, and it just won't, Earth won't be habitable anymore. Um, for oh, good. The, the Wait, how many billion years? One to two. So you, you got some time. Yeah, the whole <laughs> yeah. moving the Earth thing kind of. Yeah. Wait, as a species, we're not going to be around then. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I would hope oh, if well, we are maybe. if we are around, then we need to find a, a way. You know, we're we're done for, but we need to find a way to get off the Earth or move the Earth. One or the other. How long have humans been around? Hundred thousand years, two hundred thousand years. Yeah, Isn't so, that roughly so, the uh, yeah, something, something like, like that. that. Yeah, some biologist will correct us. Yeah, a billion years. Uh, it's a long time. A, although, yeah, I th and especially now, like evolution for us, gonna take a backseat fairly shortly. Yeah. Yeah. So. But yeah, uh, you can think like maybe technological advances. We'll figure out how to, all we got to do is move the Earth out uh, further out in the orbit as the sun gets brighter to stay in the oh, habitable. Dude, no ha doubt in my mind, we are going to be able to do that. If yeah. we are around a billion years, it'll be like, oh, well, we'll just teleport it there. What yeah. do you mean? Like, one, of, one of the bonus facts next week, I actually did some math on this. Like what kind of energy would it take to do something oh, like awesome. this? Um, so anyways, but stay but tuned yeah. for, for now. Subscribe. For now. <laughs> yeah. For now, basically, the, the, you know, there's no life on Earth unless we can move it out to keep it in the habitable zone as the sun gets brighter. And then eventually when the sun yeah. gets uh, approximately about five to six billion years from now, the, the sun is going to be at the peak of its red giant phase. And at that point, whether whether uh, if we, the other thing is so no life on Earth, if we don't move it. But at that point, not only that, but it looks like the sun will probably consume the earth and the moon probably but as the as the sun's getting into its red giant phase what's going to happen is it, gets, it has less mass so the earth and the moon will actually go further out in orbit but uh, there's been like computer models and stuff people have looked at to see and it seems like the sun will probably consume the earth and the moon at that point or but it'll be close that, but <laughs> the size of that yeah crazy red giants they're something called to giants that. for yeah. a reason um, but, yeah. this, but the sun is already massive. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, literally, both literally and figuratively. Mm -hmm. um, just the size of a. Have you heard of the? Or, or you will definitely have heard of it, and you've probably seen 
one of my favorite The Next Generation episodes where they discover a Dyson sphere. Yeah, yeah. Which is a shell, a metal shell or whatever futuristic material that is built around a sun. So it would be like at the distance of an orbit of a planet. And Mm -hmm. it's just so unbelievably huge. Yeah, to be able to capture all the energy from from it. Yeah. Yeah. To become a phase two civilization, according to... uh, it wasn't Dyson. It was another guy who who came up with that about like uh, the different phases of civilization. So one, which we're not yet, is all of the energy from a planet. Two is all of the energy from a sun. And three is all of the energy from a galaxy, <laughs> well, which is uh, pretty well. intense. Oh, uh, we should probably also mention the sun is not, some people might wonder, the sun is not going to go supernova. It doesn't have enough mass to make that happen. So it'll just, you know, collapse itself down to a nice little white dwarf at some point. Um, and be really tiny, then actually like legitimately tiny, but also still giving off a pretty amazing amount of um, uh, uh, energy with that, you know, compressed mass and everything. Sorry, the, the, just to update, uh, mm-hmm. I did a quick Google. Uh, the Kardashev scale, uh, mm. a method of measuring a civilization's level of technological advancement based on the amount of energy a civilization is able to use for communication, proposed by Russian astrophysicist Nikolai Kardashev. There you go. Interesting. I've never oh, heard of that guy before. Uh, I, I hadn't heard of the guy. I'd only heard of this because it's one of those concepts that's kind of a bit science fiction-y. It's sort of the, mm-hmm. like the whole Dyson sphere thing. It's yeah. just way beyond what we can do. Yeah. All right. So this all brings us around to the, uh, what the, another, yet another Hollywood space myth is the odds of successfully navigating an asteroid field. So they always, oh, you know, yeah, it's yeah. always like okay. really low oh odds. Oh my God, you got to avoid it. Go, go left, pull yeah. left, pull left. That's a big one. Yeah. But no, in reality... This is this is just not the way asteroid fields are, and um, they're just incredibly far apart. And not just ours, as we'll we'll discuss momentarily, but ours, of course, they're they're really like like thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of miles apart between these objects, and most of them, uh, just by the nature of things, are about the size of a tennis ball, really small. Um, <laughs> okay. So to just give you some reference for our solar system's asteroid belt, four percent of the mass of our moon is all the if you put all the asteroids together. That's it. Whoa, in and, the entire asteroid belt? Yeah, 4%. And um, yeah, and about a third of that comes from just one asteroid, uh, Ceres. And then about half of the total mass of that 4%, uh, it comes from just four, the Ceres, Vesta, Pallas, and Hygieia. Uh, and then and the rest are like tiny. And and you can think, like, you know, I, I think most people have seen the, the little map of the solar system, how far out in, in that orbit those are. So they're really, really spread apart. Um and so this, well, I I even feel the the first example you gave of it's typically hundreds of thousands of miles apart or millions, and no bigger than a tennis ball. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's just say super conservatively, it's a hundred thousand miles apart. Yeah, that is like four. If you if you had a tennis ball and you're like, oh, I've got to avoid these other tennis balls, but you'd have to go round the world four times. Yeah, the uh, before coming across another one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and this is the thing is, uh, so the uh, estimates are basically, um, if, even if you take the ones that are above about six miles wide, so uh, it turns out about one collision every ten million Wait, years or so. Those ones that are six miles wide. Yeah, so there are there are there are a few big ones. Okay, uh, that's mo- fairly substantial. Yeah, most of the mass though is is really tiny, but there are a few big ones. So even if you take the biggest ones, they collide with something only about once every ten million years. No. So this is not very... So even if we littered the asteroid belt with spaceships, we're still going to be okay. Yeah, and this is not something NASA even like thinks about when they send things through the... Yeah, why would <laughs> it's, it's not going to hit anything. 
So this is our asteroid belt. What about others? Why are others going to be like this? And it turns out, yes, most of them are going to be like this. Um, (laughs) Okay. And there's a good reason if you if you think about it. So I mean, it is like it's a big universe. There is very probably many out there that are exactly like you see in Hollywood. But the problem is, um, is they're going to be few and far between because you can think about. So if you're having all these collisions of everything, stuff's going to be breaking apart again. There's a reason they're all like the size of a tennis ball. Uh, Because it's constantly colliding, breaking apart, doing this and ejecting from. So when they're hitting each other, then they go off in some random direction and they're just going to keep going in that direction unless gravity is going to pull them back. But if you have all these interact, these small objects, relatively small interacting, it's, it turns out most of the mass is going to get ejected. And actually our asteroid belt, it's, it's estimated we used to have about a thousand times the mass. So about roughly 40 of our moons worth of mass. Um, than it does now, but most of it gets ejected as, it, as they're sort of like hitting each other and, you know, That's breaking apart and going all around. So this is what's going to happen uh, very relatively quickly on sort of a galactic time scale to pretty much any asteroid like system like that. That's just going to get all or or potentially some of them can, you know, the gravity, maybe the gravity in a specific case is really massive and it all pulls back together and then maybe get a moon or something like that. But in the end, you're not going to have this asteroid belt where stuff is just flying all around like you see in movies. That's just not that's going to be pretty rare unless something very recent happened, like two big, you know, like a two planets colliding, which is actually the most famous example of this is probably like uh, Empire Strikes Back, right? The Hoth. Yeah, uh, I was thinking it is Star Wars, right? Not Star Trek, where they're, yes. they're flying. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So this and so this this is actually what the Hoth uh, asteroid belt, which is called something else. I mean, the Anoet asteroid belt actually is what it's technically called, but everyone calls it the Hoth system asteroid belt. So anyways, so this Wait, one on these all fictional. Yeah, but people they, oh, you've expanded universe. It's great. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, and, and didn't we talk about previously how now the entire expanded universe is not no, expanded but, universe because yeah, it's a Disney thing? I know. Yeah. Who cares what Disney said? Because the expanded universe is way, way, way better than anything they've come up with. Like, it's just so right. massively better. Like, mm, it kills me. I can't even enjoy the new movies. Because um, it, it would be one thing if they came out with something better or, or even just something reasonably close in quality of story and everything like that. But instead, they come out with something that completely says, hey, you know that happy ending we had in Return of the Jedi? Yeah, it turns out all the characters, the rest of their lives really sucked. And then they die. That is basically uh-huh. what Disney has given us. But well, they, the, the, and then they die was kind of an inevitability. Yeah, but at least it wasn't like everything was happy and then they were immortal. <laughs> yeah, well, but at least like give them some give them some happy times. I mean, like, they allude to that a little bit, but it's like, yeah, that it's not something we're ever going to show you. Uh, so it's just, yeah. yeah. Anyways, anyways, don't never, get me started. I never got there. into Star Wars. I, I love uh, Star Trek, as you know, but I never got into Star Wars. It's too. I love. I loved, and the expanded universe, the Timothy Zahn, uh, that first uh, uh, heir to the Empire trilogy, is amazing. Yeah. And it's like, I understand why Disney didn't want to go with that, because then anyone could just pick up the book and know exactly what the movie was going to be. But it was so much better than the trilogy, the most recent uh, that they have. But anyways, going back to this, so the Haas system, it turns out, uh, in uh-huh. the expanded universe, uh, was was created by, uh, you know, a giant collision. I believe it was from two planets or something of that sort. So... So you think, all right, that that could create like a cool, like a lot of the stuff flying around. And if it happened fairly recently, but it turns out that no, according to the not canon, but formerly canon, that was actually many millions of years before this happened. So at this point in the in the, the lifespan of the asteroid belt, it would have been um, not at all dangerous to fly through. OK, yeah, yeah. Um, it's 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 movies. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah. it's also Star Wars. Yeah. 
If, if Star Trek were trying to pull this, I'd be like, guys, <laughs> come on. But Star Wars is a bit more uh, on yeah. the fantasy spectrum rather than Star Trek, where it's uh, not yeah. that Star Trek's exactly realistic, but... Yeah. A little bit better, uh, but they did. They did yeah. actually get the one thing right. If you did actually have an asteroid-like system like this uh, uh, happening, like with all these collisions and mm-hmm. everything, so they do mention in the Empire Strikes Back that the, the planet, the Hoth planet, gets hit by uh, meteorites all the time, and that absolutely would happen if you had that, you know, next door to you. Um, that would yeah. be that would be a constant problem. So yeah, they got that right at least. Why? Why more so than if, because it's just bigger targets? Or, oh, and gravity. Well, and there's constantly having, you have all these interactions, all these things hitting, and then a lot of stuff, like I said, is getting ejected all the time. And so as it's getting ejected, a lot of it's going to come across the planet, uh, you know, mm-hmm. as it, that's nearby, or, uh, you know, oh, I should say some of it is going to come across uh, the planet over time. So yeah, you're going to have a lot of meteorite impacts until that system works itself out. Right-o. Then that makes, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That was... Uh... Running movies we, for everyone, the brain food show. Yeah, we have some pretty exciting follow-up. I was pretty excited about this one. I thought it was hilarious. Is this is this is this our space stuff done for today? Then yes, yes. Let's get let's get okay, on so. to the to the uh, KDC. I'm excited. I'm, I'm not going to yeah. use her full name because she might not want. Uh, anyway, she sent us a nice email about you know the podcast, her thoughts and everything. Uh-huh. But there, there's a critical piece of information. Some people might remember we were discussing previously how women can pee standing up. Right. Mm-hmm. And this is a sort of with a lo- practice with practice. Apparently. A lot of okay. this is sort of a lost skill that women used to always have. And it's not like it's hard. It's just no, no women just don't practice it and they, no one tells them. Yeah. But yes, this she tried it. Totally worked. She says, oh, you can read the quote. <laughs> also, a too much information side note. I tried peeing standing up and I'm quite pleased to announce it absolutely worked. Yeah. Smiley face emoji. This, we're definitely gonna have to do like a YouTube video on this at some point because I could oh, see gosh. that getting a lot of views, and it'd just be hilarious. We're not gonna be able to use any graphics in that one. No, no, you, it'd just be hilarious to see how you actually demonstrate it. Let's see what big stock has. Like <laughs> big stock, uh, big stocks are our stock photography site for the channel, and so you you'd look up like women being standing up. I wonder if there's. A, I'll follow up. I'll follow up on that. Yeah, uh, we'll see what big stocks got. That'll be a funny search history one, but but no, it's a it's a quite a simple method supposedly, and you can just it just takes practice is all to not you know dribble all over your underwear, but it does it's perfectly possible and uh, apparently not that hard once you get once you get good at it. KTC, thank you for doing the uh, the, re- the hard work, the yeah. practical element, the primary research of yeah. the brain food show. Uh, is there any? I didn't actually have any follow up. Uh, I have to say that's not because I, I'm sure there were things to follow up on. I just had a very busy week. <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah, totally. Um, no, I didn't really have other than I put a couple of reviews if you want to read uh, what people, mm. even a four star. We had some critiques, some constructive criticism there, which is pretty good. Yes, we do. Shall I, shall I start with a four star? Yeah. Uh, Lumpy Biscuits. Why am I, fi- maybe I read this review already. Uh, I'm sure I did. I read all the reviews uh, uh, on iTunes, at least. I see you've got some cast box ones. I do. To, uh, that you're introducing into the mix. Yeah. Uh, Lumpy Biscuit says, while I'm fully aware of how much bo- work you are both doing between the website and Simon's 100 channels, I really would love some consistency. Even if there was only a new one once a month, at least I would know when it would be. Other than that, love the show, keep up the great work. He's absolutely right, dude. I know, but... Uh, he is. You know, we he had, is right. We had, uh, <laughs> you had, we to, had things. You had to go and get married, so what was that about? I had to go and get married, I had to go on two weeks holiday, and then I had to move yeah. office. Yeah. And then... 
all at the same uh, time. Our advertising guy decided to bring in about oh, yeah. twenty adverts for the for the YouTube channel at the same time. So this is this is my life. Yeah. I'm not complaining. It's it's all very good, yeah. but it is very busy. Yeah, but we should now. We should all, especially it's also summer's ending and things tend to settle down, and then we should get more regimented. I imagine. Uh, yes, I think so. This is the third week in a row where we've recorded. Third week in a row. Mm-hmm. I want to say, yeah, I think so. Well, yeah, and you had that thing so. with, which threw off this week. Ah, uh, you can't bit. talk about that yet. Oh, really? It's secret. Uh, no, I've, I signed like a thing. Oh, um, right. <laughs> so we can't really speak about that until it goes out. Oh, okay. Yeah, they they were quite specific about that. Interesting. Um, I don't know why, but let's just say, yeah, then I was working on a secret project. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but that will be late October. Uh, mm-hmm. More information on that. Uh, shall I do a couple of others? Yeah, cast box this time. Cast box. Uh, KP podcast name. That's the name of the person you put these in here. I, mm-hmm. I'm assuming that's their, yeah. their username. Yep. I know I'm the only few that liked the earlier monster. To did I read that? I know I'm the only few that I liked the earlier. Sorry, KP podcast name. I'm butchering your review. Uh, earlier monster two hour long episodes, but I like to listen to it to fall asleep. Keeps my mind occupied with cool and interesting facts and calming and friendly voices. It's sorry. Ama- <laughs> it's amazing to me how many people use the podcast to fall asleep. I'm not sure if this should be insulting. Yeah, I don't know if that's a compliment <laughs> or not. Like, I we, I listen today. Today I found out over and over while I go to bed. So, I was talking okay. to this person and, and and we were just talking about work or whatever. And I mentioned the podcast, and she was like, "Oh, I'll listen to that." So then, so like literally the next day, she's like, "Oh, I listened to your podcast," and I was like, "Really? You know, that's interesting." I was like, "How'd you like it?" And she's like, "I fell asleep like right away." And I was like, oh, oh God. is that? And she's like, no, no. It's like, thanks. <laughs> she was like, no, because this is actually why exactly she she would listen to it because uh, she listened to podcasts to sort of calm her mind to go. And she had had like, uh, and to be fair, she said she had had a, like a late shift, like 7 a.m. to get home to go mm-hmm. to sleep at, at work. And so then, yeah, she just fell right asleep. But uh, that's I thought, a brutal shift. I, she got home at seven in the morning. Yeah, I just thought that was hilarious because I was just I was like, how'd you like it? She's like. Yeah, I fell right. I fell right asleep. <laughs> Great. Well, let, uh, thank you for the feedback. Although by this point, she's definitely asleep. Wait, what's her name? Uh, I probably shouldn't mention. Okay, because, dude, I, have you ever, you know, when someone says your name, even if it's not, because it'd be awesome if, you, if we, we like oh, yeah. say her name yeah, is yeah. just for fun, Sarah. Yeah. You'd be like, "Hello, Sarah." And yeah. anyone listening who's like half asleep and is called Sarah right now is going to be right freaked out. <laughs> yeah, but um, anyway, I yeah, just anyway. thought that was kind of funny. And we get so many people saying like, yeah, uh, I, I love it because I just fall right asleep to it every night. It's like, oh, all right, good. Thanks for listening. I guess our viewer attention on those will be really good because they'll just get to the end and it'll turn off. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. That's great. Keep it up. Uh, Castbox again, Sean Allison says uh how can you have not watched the princess oh god damn it i still haven't watched the princess bride you know and he finishes it up uh question mark exclamation mark question mark etc it repeats you have been so sheltered simon yeah. you really should um, it's, it's a classic yeah yeah i know i know i should I, I should i don't think no one no one doesn't like that movie it's a great okay, movie okay okay i know ah see that it's just i hmm Okay. Yeah. No, I've got no excuses. I'm I'm literally fumbling around trying to find a reason for not having it's seen this. It's probably yet, on I'm, Netflix. You can probably just pull it up. Probably is. Anyway. Anything else you want to hit today? 
Uh, no, I don't think that uh, next week we will be finishing up the space series for those who, who haven't liked the space series. Uh, that'll be a good, <laughs> good, good thing. Great news for everyone <laughs> who loved the space series. Sorry. Yeah, well, we finish up. Uh, we got a lot about bonus facts. I've already mostly put together the show, so uh, it's almost mm. almost ready to record. I believe we're recording that in a couple of days, right? To get yeah. ahead so we have a regular schedule. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Who doesn't love that? All right. Nice to to record this episode with you. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. When we get to 200 reviews, we're giving away a $200 Amazon gift count voucher or whatever that is in your local currency. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening. See you next week for the uh, final, final frontier. Bye for now. There's a merry-go-round as well, something about a unicorn.